This episode of the Breakthrough Success Podcast is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is your business's command center. The easy-to-use app powers your sales, operations, and customer service all in one place. Go check them out at getjobber.com slash breakthrough to receive 20% off your first six months. One of the many things that we've learned during this time in history is that the world can change very quickly, even quickly than we thought because the world was previously a big place of change beforehand. But one thing that does not change is that there are still successful people day in and day out and people remain successful because they are able to adapt to different things that happen and they are able to achieve the transformations they want to achieve in their careers. So if you're looking for ways to build up on your career transformation and do that side hustle full time or bring in more streams of income, uh, the transformation's vital and that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode on Breakthrough Success. We are joined by a guest who helps organizations build better products and executives build the cultures that build those better products. He's the co-author of a distinguished award-winning book. He's written those types of books as well. So this guy's books go like phenomenally reach a lot of people. His upcoming book, Forever Employable. Definitely keep an eye out on that because uh, just based on this guy's other books, it's bound to reach a lot of people. Uh, our guest works as a coach, consultant, and keynote speaker, and he helps companies bridge the gaps between business agility, digital transformation, product management, and human-centered design. I know we mentioned that our guest writes a bunch of superstar books, but he's published, he's working on a superstar publishing house, Sense and Respond Press for practical business books for busy executives. Our guest who joins us is none other than Jeff Gotthelf. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Mark. It's th thrilled to be here. Thanks for that killer introduction as well. Jeff, it is a pleasure to have you on Breakthrough Success and transformation is very important. We have to keep on transforming, adapting, evolving. And I feel like it's more important now because the playing field has been completely uprooted. And I'm wondering like what goes into a transformation? I know you've seen this on a corporate level, a personal level, helping people do this. So what really makes a transformation happen? It's interesting. You know, I think in a normal world where everything, in my normal, I mean, non- pandemic world. In a non-pandemic world, people have these events that then trigger a series of uh, panicked reactions in them. For example, there's a reorganization in my company. There's a, uh, a brand new competitor in my industry. There's a radical breakthrough technology in, in my field, whatever it is. And folks panic and then they, they try to figure out how what they do now fits in this new world. What I find in, in, in the pandemic world that we live in right now, that transformation just leapfrogged five or 10 years. And so what I find is that the people who are successful, the people who are successful at adapting, at being agile in these situations, at not panicking, have been progressively and continuously transforming, transforming themselves throughout their career. They started off as one thing and then they built on top of that to create a slightly broader platform. Maybe that opened up some new paths and they evolved in a different direction. But today, what's the, the core elements that it takes today, I think fundamentally, is a belief that you are entrepreneurial. Many people don't believe that they are entrepreneurial. I didn't believe I was an entrepreneur 
for many, many, many years. In fact, I saw myself as an execution guy, not an ideas guy. I think we've got this uh, vision of entrepreneurs as kind of the Silicon Valley heroes that built Facebook and Tesla and, and all of those. But everyone has that entrepreneurial spirit. You have to find it. I think you have to find some self-confidence, the ability and the desire uh, to take some risks and to see what happens. And I think most importantly, it's a phrase I love. I, I, I stole this phrase and I'm, uh, from a TED talk that I saw from a guy named Astro Teller. Astro Teller, awesome name, by the way. Uh, Astro Teller uh, runs Google's X or Alphabet X, which is their moonshot factory. It's where they come up with self-driving cars and internet balloons and whatever crazy new invention they come up with. And it's, he gave this TED talk where he talks about this idea of uh, enthusiastic skepticism. Enthusiastic skepticism is a quality that I believe any transformers, anybody who wants to transform their life continuously needs. And enthusiastic skepticism means that no matter how successful I get or how big of a platform I've built or how good the last thing I made was, there's always this burning feeling inside of you that you could have made it, you could have made it better. There's something you can improve upon. There's always something that can, that can make that uh, hit home a bit harder or, or reach an extra, uh, an extra person or 10 extra people. And so I think if you're enthusiastically skeptical, have that self-confidence and entrepreneur and you're entrepreneurial, tap that entrepreneurial skill, uh, you start to really build those, the, the right kinds of transformation. And it's really interesting how, I mean, enthusiastic skepticism. I mean, I definitely love that approach. And risk-taking is certainly a part of the transformation. And there's a lot of reasons. Like in some cases, it's a being vulnerable moment where you want to achieve the transformation, but you got to do something very far out of your comfort zone in front of people. So that's where the vulnerability piece comes in. It can also be, uh, you know, you have to learn a lot like how I started Breakthrough Success on episode one. Uh, I've gotten a lot better in my opinion just because I've done over 500 of these. So mm -hmm. it's just very different. Like there's different reasons why, uh, you know, there's some risk involved, like a learning, like an opportunity cost or, you know, vulnerability. But I do feel like we're in a world that is very less likely to make risks. Like you see people... Uh, storing up cash, you see people uh, just trying, like, there's a lot fewer people who are willing to take those risks. So how, what was, what's your advice for people who they're afraid of taking the leap and committing to their transformation? Yeah, and, and I don't blame people for, for being a little panicked right now and, yeah, and kind of hoarding I, a little bit, <laughs> hoarding cash, hoarding yeah, beans. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got a closet full of rice back there, you know, <laughs> just, just in case, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, look, I spend, I spend all of my consulting work uh, te basically teaching people how to mitigate risk, right? Whether it's individuals or teams or executives or corporations. Um, so if you feel that there's a risk there, the question that I, would, I, I always pose to teams is what's, what's the most important thing you need to learn next? about that risk. So if, if you're like, hey, I'm afraid that um, if I start this podcast, no one will listen to it. Okay, great. Well, what's the most important thing you need to learn before you commit to a fancy microphone and, and like doing 12 episodes and hiring guests 
right? What uh, it could be something like, uh, well, maybe I should test the topic, like the, the topic that I'm thinking about having for the podcast over these the first 12 episodes, right? And so what's the most important thing you need to learn next about the risk is the first question that I teach everybody that I work with. And then once they can identify that, the second question I have them ask themselves is what's the least amount of work that you need to do to learn that thing? And what will often happen is I will challenge these individuals, these teams, these executives, to come up with experiments that are very light, very cheap, very quick, that provide them with some kind of data. Now that data may not be quantitative. It may not be statistically significant proof that you should start a podcast, right? That there's an audience of 100,000 listeners out there that can't wait for this content, right? But it will start to give you some qualitative proof that will help you build the next slightly bigger experiment, right? So maybe you put out a, a, a survey, about, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about right, uh, starting a podcast. Here are five different topics I'm thinking about. What do you guys want to hear? And see what comes back. That's super low risk. You've risked almost nothing in that. But you've collected some data. And the data says it gives you some direction, right? You should go in this direction or you should try this content or that type of thing. Great. Then we ask the two questions again. Okay, great. What's the next most important thing I need to learn? Right? And maybe it's, uh, it's format. Should it be audio? Should it be video? Should it be both? Should it be five minutes long, 50 minutes long, an hour and a half, right? And again, I'm riffing here a little bit, right? But those are the kinds of questions you should be posing to yourselves at that level of increment. So every increment is small. And then every experiment that you run to test that next incremental risk is small. So that if it fails, right? If, if you send out that survey and the number one response is don't start a podcast, Mark, Right. Right. What have you lost? Right. Right. You've, you, you, you lost nothing. Right. You, you, you sent out an email with a survey. Right. If, if you, um, you know, if you try an audio only format for your first dozen episodes and you see some drop off and you're just like, OK, maybe next time I'll, I'll, I'll do them a little bit shorter. Right. So, so this is the, there's a series of, of continuous learning, continuous improvement and incremental experimentation. And that's what mitigates the risk. Now, at any given point, you might, your tests might fail, in which case you can move on to your next best guess, right? So maybe it's not a podcast, maybe it's a vlog, maybe it's, it's, it's you're gonna start writing, whatever it is, right? But that's how you deal with that risk. We have more great content coming up in this episode, but first we have a message from today's sponsor, Jobber. Jobber's award-winning software helps small home service businesses organize their entire operations from scheduling jobs and managing their crews to invoicing customers and collecting payments. That way, you can spend more time on the services you're already great at. Job by job, business by business, Jobber is transforming the ways their customers deliver service. Start your free trial over at getjobber.com slash breakthrough. All right, let's get right back into the episode. And interesting how Jeff mentions the incremental experimentation because, um, you know, if Breakthrough Success didn't really gain much traction and people were like, you know, this show, like we should just stop it and, you know, it would have been stopped. And uh, like part of it is like you got to have a passion for it, but you also have to listen to your audience and that can save you from going down the wrong path. Like just with training course launches, um, a lot of people, 
make this mistake of creating the entire training course. Uh, but what you could do instead is you just create week one's content. If you don't get any sales, then you only wasted time for week one in marketing. But if you create the whole training course, that's a much bigger time investment. And to not get the return on your investment, uh, that's just going to be a big bummer. So incremental experimentation is very great to do. I do feel like there are also a lot of people, some of them, maybe they feel misplaced because of what's going on and they don't know uh, even where to start with their incremental experimentation or what they want to do with themselves. So for those people, what do you have in mind? Yeah. Um, I want to touch on one quick thing you said a second ago too. I, so I sell training and sometimes I've got new classes as well. I do even less in my experiments than even creating week one. I just put up a landing page that sells tickets. So I, I write the marketing description for the course. Got a ticket. I got a ticket price. If people buy tickets, I got to go write the course, <laughs> right? They don't buy tickets. I save myself a ton of work. Right. And I can try to figure out how to better market that thing before I, before I create the course. Now, your next question was, was a really good one, right? So, Hey, how, how do I, how do I even decide where to go? Right. Uh, in my new book, forever employable, it's chapter one, it's called plant a flag, right? Planting a flag is saying, I'm going to own this domain or this area of content or this ex, this expertise or this set of topics or whatever it is. But the question is, how do you choose that one? And I think there's a few things you need to consider, right? There's a, there's a bit of a, a Venn diagram here of, a, of two or three circles. So certainly the, uh, the first one is you want to look at, at your expertise, your experience, and your passion, right? So list out everything that you're good at, everything you believe you're an expert at, everything you've had experience doing. I would then add your passions to that list. Right? So just because you've been successful professionally as a marketer or as an accountant or as a lawyer or whatever, maybe you've got a, a, a side passion that you're equally uh, an expert in. You just haven't used, you haven't monetized it yet. Like for example, um, I played in bands for years. I'm a piano player, right? Um, one of the things I did for a long time was I collected vintage electric pianos. I know a lot about vintage electric pianos, right? Among my, among my professional expertise, right? That's one thing I would list in that circle, right? So, uh, you know, maybe there's a market for some kind of content around vintage electric pianos, right? There is. The question is how big is it? Should you work on it? But that's the kind of stuff that should go in there, right? You're, you love baking cakes on the weekends, right? Maybe cake making is a passion you list in there, but get all that stuff in there. That's the first circle. The second circle is trends, okay? Trends, uh, you've got to look at geopolitical trends, technical trends, uh, consumer behavioral trends, um, kind of what people are doing, how they're consuming things, um, you know, kind of where things are going, you know, where, where, uh, how are people getting their information today? What kind of information is resonating? What kind of formats are resonating? Um, how can shifts in political landscapes affect what it is that you do? Again, pandemic, super interesting, right? Uh, that's shifted a ton of businesses, either fully online, some out of business, and some are thriving because they're able to adjust to these new trends, right? I think that's, that's very, very important as well. And then lastly, I would look at uh, potential target audience. 
right? So you've got your passions and your expertise, and then you've got these trends, and then you want to look at the scope of the, the size of the, the target audience that you might be able to hit, right? So I spoke about vintage electric pianos earlier, right? There is a market for that, right? Usually it's just a bunch of piano nerds, right? And the piano nerd target audience is relatively small in the grand scheme of things, right? Now you might try to own that market and you might be able to, to make some kind of uh, uh, a, a mark on that, but can you scale it to a kind of global, a national, maybe even a global level? Uh, it's going to be tough. It's, it's definitely going to be tough. And so one of the things you want to look at is kind of how big of an opportunity is there in your desired direction with those trends and then make some decisions, right? So then see where those three circles overlap. And there might be more than one thing that kind of, there might be kind of multiple combinations that overlap in that Venn diagram. Now you're staring at two or three potential options, right? And this is when we come back to the last thing we talked about, right? So you've got these three possibilities. Where do you go, hmm. right? Well, what's the most important thing I need to learn about each one of those? What's the least amount of work I need to do to learn that for each one of those, right? Is there a market for vintage electric pianos? Let me go test that. Let me go figure out to do some research, right? Okay, you know what? There isn't that big, not big enough for me. I'm going to set that one aside. Okay, what about digital transformation and organizations? Well, yeah, there's a lot of work there. I can tell you I'm very busy these days, right? Um, and so that's how you start to do it. But you've got, you've got to kind of assess these different variables, identify some potentials, and then test those potentials before you invest too heavily, right? You invest too heavily, it's too big of a risk, right? And this goes back to incremental experimenting, which you do want to do to figure out, you know, does this make sense for you? The other thing is, you know, everyone says follow your passion and you do want to do something you enjoy, but you do have to be practical with it as well because uh, Jeff knows that, you know, his uh, vintage piano space, uh, you know, it, I mean, I, I know nothing about it. So like there's, you know, scalability that you have to think about. Is this something I can scale? Is this something I can make money with? Is this something I could do for years upon years? Because there is opportunity cost and being practical allows you to decide which passion you pursue uh, to start with. And that's going to be like, is this something you could keep talking about for 10 years? Or is this just a fad? Uh, not like a societal fad, but even just a fad in your own life. So it is important to think practically about all the passions that you have. Yep. I mean, look, uh, let me illustrate it for you really quick. So at the beginning of the show, you introduced me. You said, hey, I run this publishing press, Sense and Respond Press, right? That business came in. It's not like I woke up one morning and I was like, I'm going to start publishing books. That sounds like a great idea, right? No one ever got rich publishing books. Let's put it that way, right? Um, the, but, but the idea came about through a series of incremental experiments, each one slightly bigger than the previous one, that continued to give positive feedback, right? So I tweeted an idea to, to, about some digital transformation thing to, to, to my followers at the time, roughly 30,000 or so on Twitter. The feedback to that tweet was super positive. Lots of interaction. I said, okay, there's something here. So I wrote 750 words about it, put it on my blog. Got good traction, right? So I extended it to 1,200 words and put it on Medium. It got a ton of traction. At the time, it became the most read thing I'd ever written online. Wow. So then I said, you know what? 
I need to learn. I want to learn how to self-publish a book. I'd already published with two different uh, publishers at that point. I want to see what self-publishing was all about. So I took those 1,200 words. I extended it to 6,000 words, which is nothing for a book. It's like an essay. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's like an extended essay. And I learned how to self-publish on the Amazon platform. And I just put it out there. And the book, the book to, it sold 10,000 copies, something stupid in like a year, which is like, it's a ridiculous amount for, for doing no marketing and having just thrown something together, learning really basically just in an effort to try to learn how to use the platform. So that led me to believe, okay, people bought this book. And I talked to people who read the book. Why'd you buy the book? Well, A, it's, it's what I'm struggling with right now. So it solved a real problem. And B, it was short. It was 6,000 words and it was super practical. Right. And to me, that was a signal from the market that says there might be something here. And so then with my business partner, we scaled that into a publishing press that publishes short, practical business books that solve real problems for busy executives. But I never would have gotten there with one leap. It took half a dozen incremental experiments and continuous learning to get there. Right. That's how I built that business. And I love how, you know, you hear about, you know, all this work Jeff put in, but if the tweet doesn't gain any attraction, you're like, Jeff, this is a horrible idea. Then Jeff doesn't do all that work. It's better for him to figure out it's a horrible idea now than when he's committed a whole year to it. And it turned out really well for Jeff. And he tested with the tweet. He tested with the blog post. He tested with the medium post. He tested with the 6,000 word. And I see that with my own books. There are people who they'll, like, I was at a book signing with like a lot of other books and people were like, I'm so happy your book is so short. I could put it in my suitcase now. Yeah. So you have like, I, like I think short books. I, I just wanted to uh, throw my perspective in there. I think short books are a really great opportunity. I think another great opportunity for you guys is to check out Jeff and his work because this has been such an awesome conversation. So Jeff, where do we go to keep following your working journey? The easiest way to find me is at jeffgodhealth.com, your source for all things Jeff Got Health. <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll literally find everything there, books, blogs, events. And then I'm on Twitter always at jboogie, which is a long story. Not sure we have time for that here today. <laughs> and you can always feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn as well. All those links will be down in the show notes to connect with Jeff. We always appreciate you guys so much for tuning in to Breakthrough Success. And Jeff, thank you for joining us on this episode. It was a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks so much, Mark. It was a blast. This episode of the Breakthrough Success Podcast was brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is your business's command center. The easy-to-use app powers your sales, operations, and customer service all in one place. Start a free trial or sign up today to receive 20% off your first six months. Find out more at getjobber.com slash breakthrough.